Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Well, we are thankful that you're here this morning worshiping with us, uh, coming into a July 4th weekend. So you are either the folks who were not invited away for the weekend, okay, or don't have enough money to go away for the weekend. Either way, I'm glad we're ministering to the humble this morning, so that's great. Uh, we are thrilled you're here. And um, just continue to stay in prayer for our missions teams that are out. Uh, the Brazil team has had some reconnections to flight arrangements coming back. That's the new way to travel. You go to the airport and you wait a while, and then you uh, get ready to load the plane, and then you wait some more. So that's the new way, I guess, everybody's traveling. So our Brazil team um, had some flight arrangements changes, but they're flying back today, um, later this evening. And our Poland team, if you've been able to follow on Facebook, either what both of those teams are doing. If you haven't, you want to go out and watch that. It's just going to minister to you to know that Fellowship Bible Church has people who are away serving. And John and Kelly, I just heard, I guess your daughter had a bit of an injury or something down there, which is a great reminder um, that um, God is in our sacrifices, isn't he? And some of those sacrifices are on behalf of parents, too, who say, uh, you know, just say, listen, we sent them away, Lord. We wanted you to protect them a little bit better than that, but we're looking forward to her coming back. So, um, so for those of you who are wondering, it was like a dislocated knee or something, right? Okay. So I didn't want everybody to say, you didn't tell us what the injury was, like... What happened in Brazil? And a great reminder that we tend to think in terms as Americans of being safe, and we should be thinking in terms of ministry first, which is what we're about. Okay, I have sufficiently spoken long enough for you to have sat down long enough that I'm going to have you stand, all right, uh, for the reading of the Word. And we're in Acts chapter 11 this morning, a great, great passage uh, with inspiration for all of us, no matter where we are. I'll pick up the reading in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, or those are the Greeks there, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called, say it with me, Christians. That's exactly right. Go ahead and be seated. We are looking at a text this morning, and I just want to underscore what this particular passage is about. In fact, I capture it right here at the end of uh, verse 20, the highlighted portion, when it says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, that might sound like that's the preacher's responsibility. So you say, no, that's great. That's what you do for a living. But this word preaching here is the word euangelion. It's the word we get evangelism from. It's the word we get sharing the good news from. In fact, that's essentially what they were doing. They were sharing the good news about Jesus. 
And I'll come back to this in a moment, but notice that they don't reference him here as Jesus Christ, but rather the Lord Jesus. A little earlier last week, we learned that he was the Lord of all. So this message is now going out, and it's spreading, okay? By the way, um, in setting that discussion up, I just want to remind you, we spoke briefly about our uh, uh, Emma, who was on this missions trip, who dislocated her knee while she was there. Sometimes we think that if we're doing something for Jesus, everything physically, financially, everything should be perfect, okay? Just let me show you another passage in Acts chapter 5. And when they had, that is the Jewish people who weren't believing, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, okay? And then they let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, that is the name of Jesus, okay? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching, and here's our word again, euangelion, evangelism, preaching that Christ is Jesus, and this is really interesting because the word Christ is the word Christos. It's the word anointed. It's the word that the Jewish people understood to be the Greek word, that they understood to be their Messiah. What the apostles continue to say is that the Messiah to the Jewish people is Jesus, okay? He was, he was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He is alive. But the Messiah is Jesus. In spite of their difficulty, they continue to preach Jesus. So this is a passage this morning about telling others about Jesus. And we're going to unpack that with just four ideas. Difficult situations, past presidents, pre- 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 I'm going to get there in a second, past prejudices. It helps me when I know you're laughing because I know you're listening, okay? So even if my jokes aren't funny, laugh anyhow, all right? It was said of Spurgeon, he was written up in the papers Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the papers in London years ago, people had criticized him because laughter was heard coming from the pews. And so Spurgeon responded in an editorial with something like this. I know that various pastors say that they're bothered by the laughter that's heard coming from my pews. I think it's just superior to the snoring that's coming from yours. (laughs) All right. So I'm glad you're with me this morning, all right? Because this is a message for you. Here we go. Number one, difficult situations provide unique platforms to tell others about Jesus, okay? Difficult situations provide unique platforms to tell others about Jesus. Here's what you want to know when you read the Old Testament. Difficult situations came to the Israelites, they complained. As opposed to depending on the Lord, they just complained. The same thing happens in our lives. The difficult situations tend to be the things we complain about but they are unique platforms to tell others about Jesus. Let me show you that in the text. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, tell me a little bit about Stephen. What was the persecution that arose with Stephen? He was what? Martyred. He was killed. He was murdered. He was executed. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, for just a moment, Acts 1-8, very beginning of the book of Acts, God's Jesus said this, listen, here's what I want you to know. Um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, the surrounding areas, in Samaria, a little further, and to the ends of the earth. And everybody said, we like Jerusalem, we'll just stay here. It's kind of like if you found Fellowship Bible Church comfortable, you just want to stay. But what I want to remind you of is that it's not our purpose to just keep making everybody stay. 
those who were scattered because of the persecution. God's plan was that they would go. And I'll just show you those three places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and watch this. In the box, that's Jerusalem. Judea was the area around Jerusalem where all the Jews were living, and that's where everybody, with the, the, that's where the conversation was happening, right, um, about Jews that were coming to faith in Christ. So Judea was that. Samaria were the people who weren't exactly like the Jewish people, but Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, number one in the circle there, that's Phoenicia. That's the Phoenician coast. It runs roughly from Tyre to Sidon. So they're already stepping out of Jerusalem a little bit. Cyprus, that's the island out there in the middle. They were heading over there too. And Antioch, number three, the circle number three, that's ultimately where some of them would end up. And when they went, they were telling others about Jesus. Now, here's what you got to see, okay? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of zoom back on that map for a second because I want you to recognize Antioch. See number three up there? Watch what happens out of Antioch. Jerusalem and Judea, that's where they stuck, stayed. But Antioch becomes the church that just sends missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. They just become that church. And what you need to understand is that all of those little squiggly lines are Paul's missionary journeys. He went on missionary journeys. Now, sometimes we think of missionaries as those we support that go away and give their life calling in a location. Okay, I, I, I'm supportive of that. We do that here. But what I want to remind you of is Paul was a guy who took short-term mission trips. Now, they lasted a year or two, but he still took short-term mission trips, right? And here's the picture. That's the pattern that came out of the difficulty. Persecution arose in Jerusalem from the outside of the church. Um, there was pressure on them from the Jewish community that were not going to come to faith in Christ. There was pressure on them, and that pressure and the execution of Stephen caused them to move out. That's the plan. Difficult situations provide unique platforms to tell others about Jesus. Suddenly, they're telling other people about Jesus in other cities, and they wouldn't have done that without the persecution that arose. But not only that, you need to know that sometimes, circum, uh, uh, sometimes persecution comes from the outside, sometimes it comes from the inside. Sometimes even within the church there's difficulties. Look with me at Acts chapter 11 again and I'll show you that. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, because that's kind of the mother church, that's where everything is happening, there's thousands of Christians there, okay. The circumcision party, that's the way that the Bible describes those who were professing Christians who were Jewish and said, you got to do things the Jewish way, okay? So you got to eat the food that we eat. You got to do all of it that way. And God was saying, listen, I'm not bringing the Gentiles to faith in Christ the way that I was bringing the Jewish people. It's not the same pattern. Verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men. They criticized Peter. And, and ate with them, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, this is really great. You got to have your Bible open for this. There's not slides for this, okay? just want to show you this. Look at how Peter explains it to them. Starting in verse 5, he does four things. Peter says, okay, you're critical. I'm going to explain to you what happened in order. Yes, I did share the gospel. I ate with Gentiles. I shared the gospel with them, and they trusted Christ. But here's the order. Number one, I was in the city of Joppa praying. That's significant. He isn't arguing with them. He's saying, I was praying when this happened. He's just telling the truth. Okay. I was praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I had a dream, he said. And you thought Martin Luther King Jr. was the first one to come up with that line. Okay. Peter did. Peter had a dream. Okay. 
And in his dream, he said, all of these animals were coming down in this sheet, and, and I was told to eat. And I was hungry, but I didn't eat because those are things I don't eat as a Jewish person. And it happened three times. And then look at verse 11. And when the dream was over, behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house. Okay. So these guys say, hey, listen, we've got to take up to uh, see uh, this man who needs to trust Christ. He's a Gentile. Verse 15. And when I saw them, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? This is beautiful. When there is a conflict within the church, notice this four-step pattern. Number one, pray. Pray. You need to pray. I was reminded of that in preparing um, a long, long time ago um, with a friend who now has entered heaven, so you guys don't know him. I had a conflict, okay? And that conflict was pretty challenging between the two of us. And I remember that I struggled with that. But I also remember that when that conflict came to a head, um, we started to talk, and he said, well, how did you come up with your position? And I said, well, every Monday, I've been away praying, and this is what God laid on my heart. Because we didn't have a church building back then, and so I found Longwood Gardens to be my prayer spot, and every Monday, I just turn left as opposed to right, and I go out, and I drive to Longwood Gardens, and I spend the morning there in prayer. I was not sharing that bragging. I was just sharing it just like Peter did. I was praying, and this is what God revealed. And I remember that 24 hours later, this individual came to me, and he said this. He said, he said Pastor Phil, I- I'm not going to oppose you in this, because you were praying, and here it came, and I wasn't. I love that, because I wasn't thinking about it when I was meeting the Lord in prayer for those months. I wasn't even really thinking about how it would set up the conflict to be resolved. But this is what Peter says from the beginning. He says, you guys can argue if you want, but listen, I was praying when God revealed this. Prayer matters. You have conflicts in your marriage. You have conflicts in, in, in your relationships. You have conflicts with your neighbors, whatever those might be. I would just ask you a simple question. Have you been praying? And for how long have you been praying? Like, well, I prayed yesterday. Be a little patient, okay? Keep praying. God is doing something in your life in the midst of that conflict. And, and again, I remember that story because I was humbled by it. I wasn't thinking, great, you know, I did this thing. I I was thinking, wow, I didn't even really know that. God laid on my heart to pray. I prayed, and later it became evident that prayer was the way that God revealed himself. Secondly, Peter says, I had a dream. I had this vision, which means that we talked about this last week, that God had now given additional revelation. We don't have additional revelation. We have the word of God. We have the word of God. So you got prayer, you got the word of God. This is how you resolve the conflicts internally. Prayer, word of God. And then you'll notice that Peter said, and that, listen, I'm just telling you the story. He said, verse 11, when I came out of the dream, there were three men standing at the door. That's the providence of God. It's also very powerful to communicate when there's a conflict in the church. It's not about my opinion or your opinion or their opinion or your opinion. It's about the fact that God was moving providentially in people's lives. And they couldn't argue with that, right? They couldn't say, uh, hey, listen, why were those three guys there? You set this up. They couldn't argue with the providence of God. And then finally, fourthly, the Spirit of God came and revealed and drew these people to Christ. And all of that is what Peter says. I prayed. God gave me a word. 
Number three, um, the providence of God was there as soon as I came out of the dream. And number four, the spirit of God was on it. And that's why, just look at this real quickly in the text. When they heard these things, this is the church of Jerusalem, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is a massive change of thinking for Jewish believers in the New Testament time. It's massive. It's hard to even explain what it would be like. And yet they acknowledged it because they could see God working in it. Difficult situations provide unique platforms to tell others about Jesus. Sometimes those difficult situations are coming from outside the church. Sometimes they're coming from inside the church. Regardless, they are an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Here's the second idea. Past prejudices limit our chance to tell others about Jesus. And this is right in the text, okay? Acts chapter 11, again, verse 19. When we get past those who are scattered in difficult circumstances, we read that they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. These are the Jewish, they were Jewish in heritage, but they became Christians, followers of Jesus. They leave Jerusalem because of the persecution on them, and they travel to these various cities and shoreline communities, and they're speaking the word. But notice verse 19, they speak the word to no one except Jews, because that's what they think they're supposed to do. Past prejudice limit our chance to tell others about Jesus. They were limited. Now, let me just unpack this for a second because a prejudice basically is this idea. It's the idea that we have a preconceived opinion that's not based on reason and it's not based on actual experience. It's just our preconceived opinion, okay? They had a preconceived opinion that they weren't supposed to speak to anybody else. No Gentiles, just Jews, okay? They had a prejudice. And the problem with that is you get uncomfortable even trying to talk to Jesus about people that you do not understand. Which is why for just a moment, let me take you back to one of my favorite writers or understanding of learning, a guy by the name of John Milton Gregory who wrote Seven Laws of the Learner uh, back in the 1800s, I think. But he makes this comment, and just stay with me for a second, it's gonna get a little philosophical, okay? The language used as a medium between teacher and learner must be common to both. The lesson must be explained in terms of the truth already known by the learner. You say, what does that even mean, okay? So let me back up and tell you what it means. You and I, when we don't understand another community, uh, we have a prejudice because of the way we grew up, we aren't seeking to understand where they're coming from. We're seeking to explain our position. That's problematic because we're not even really understanding how to communicate to them unless we speak a language that's common to both, okay? And that language, by the way, is not just language, okay? When I was speaking in Ukraine um, several months ago, um, there was a guy who gave his testimony um, with an audience uh, kind of like this size, and, and uh, he, the guy sits down, and I make a comment, and I do one of those little self-deprecating humor things, okay? Here's the thing, humor never translates well Okay? It just doesn't translate well. Because it's not just getting the words right, it's getting the context right, it's getting the culture right, right? And I noticed that nobody laughed, and so I thought, ooh, man, I hope I didn't offend him. Okay? So at the break, I said to my translator, hey, I, when I said that, I didn't offend him, did, he, did I? Because, you know, I said that thing, and, and nobody laughed, so, so I started wondering if maybe I offended him. He said, don't worry, Phil, I knew it wouldn't cover, so I just said something else. Well, that's great, okay? 
But it shows you how difficult this thing is to tell other people about Jesus means that you gotta get in their skin a little bit. You just can't walk in there and say, here's the three rules about Jesus. You have to understand where they're coming from and communicating to them. You say, well, Phil, that's philosophy. That's not the Bible. I knew you'd say that, so let me just take you to the Bible and show you that. Okay. I want to show you something that you may not have known. It's a subtlety, but it's really important. Notice how it said, but there was some of them, and of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that is, they spoke to the Greeks. Now, remember, there's a bunch of people coming, they're only speaking to Jews, but there's a few that are speaking to the Greeks also, or the Gentiles, and they are preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, notice something that's just happened here. That's very different than the way Peter spoke, clear back in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, a long a number of Sundays ago, when he preached through this, he looked at the man who was lame and he said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of, say it with me, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, two things have happened. Peter referred to him back there as Jesus Christ. Jesus, God is, God is our Savior, basically, the Lord will save. Christ, Messiah. The Lord will save through the Messiah. That's what Jesus Christ means, okay? But here, these men who start to speak to the Greeks, they don't use that word, why? Why don't they use Christ? But be, because Christ is referencing the Messiah, which is a very Hebrew concept, Lord is something they would be familiar with. In fact, one writer said it this way, in its origins, the title Lord, or Kyrios, that's a Greek word, was most likely applied to Jesus first in Jewish Christian circles using the Old Testament title of Adonai. The Old Testament uses the word Lord, Adonai. But Messiah, that is Christos, was particularly meaningful title to the Jews. Lord has a title used by the Gentiles for rulers and cult gods and was more understandable to them. Note its frequent use in its Gentile context and acts. You can go check this out on your own, okay? This is really amazing. In the first part of Acts, when they're speaking to the Gentiles, you find the word Jesus Christ used Christ, Christos, used a lot. But as the gospel starts to move over to the Gentiles, you find that Christ isn't used quite as much. Instead, what is used is the word Lord Jesus. In fact, that title, Lord, becomes Paul's favorite title for Jesus in his epistles. Why? Because he understands that he just can't stand and keep talking about this person who's Messiah, a very Hebrew concept, to the people who do not understand and never grew up in Judaism. They grew up in this other world where there was a completely different religion. And, and it's, it's important to understand that they didn't, Paul didn't deny the Messiahship of Christ. He simply focused on the fact that he was Lord, as Acts said, Lord of all. In fact, Stephen Covey said it this way, seek first to understand and then to be understood. If you have conflicts, okay, there's a good chance you're just trying to be understood as opposed to first trying to understand where they're coming from. Past prejudices limit our chance to tell others about Jesus. We want to tell others about Jesus. Okay? That's the focus of this passage, telling others about Jesus. So that's part of it. Here's the third one. Personal character creates additional opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Now, notice it's all about telling others about Jesus. You got difficult circumstances? Got it. Those are unique platforms. Tell others about Jesus. By the way, they're probably going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to me because you went through a difficulty that they're going through that same difficulty. That's the person who should speak to them because you can tell them about Jesus from that unique platform. 
Past prejudices limit our chance to tell others about Jesus. We don't want to just tell a certain group of people. We want to be about telling other people. And that means we're going to have to understand where they're coming from so that we can tell them about Jesus in a way that they hear it in their language and understanding. Here's the last one, the third one. Personal character creates additional opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Note this. His name is Barnabas, okay? The text says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. These are character issues. They are not skill issues. They are not Barnabas just being this great communicator or this brilliant intellect. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's full of faith. So let me give you four ways to be a Barnabas builder, okay? Build with encouragement, not criticism. And all I'm going to do is track Barnabas the occurrences of Barnabas's name through the opening chapters of Acts in order. Go back with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 36. That's where we find his name first used. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And there we read, uh, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, in parentheses, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, okay? So the first thing I notice is that Barnabas isn't his real name. It's his nickname, okay? It's his nickname. It's what they've started to call him because this man is so encouraging. Now, the word encouraging in the Bible in the New Testament is a word that means to build up, not to tear down. We want to be an encouragement. So we're building up. Build with encouragement, not with criticism. I recognize there's times when criticism needs to be spoken, but may that not be the only thing we're known for. When someone speaks of you, they should be able to say, well, I'll just ask the question. Would they say, that person's an encourager? Or would they say, you know, they're just kind of critical? Because when they say something like that, They're communicating that, at least from their perspective, that's what characterizes you. Now, just let that thought settle in. There are times when we should be critical, but it shouldn't be what characterizes us. You say, Phil, pay attention. In the world in which we live, there's so much bad stuff happening, all we can do is be critical. Aren't you glad that wasn't Barnabas' position? They were executing Christians. Rome was not in favor of them. You would have people in your church who, if you were in Rome, who were going to be strung up and and attacked by lions in stadiums while people applauded it. Yet Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement. By the way, the Bible does a perfect balance here. Uh, The Bible says what? That we beheld Jesus, he was full, just like his father, full of grace and truth. Grace, the encouraging side, truth, sometimes the critical side, God and Jesus are full of both. We're not. We're always a percentage of one. I just want to remind you that this is what Barnabas was known for. Words that build up, not words that tear down. Build with encouragement, not with criticism. Here's the second one. Build bridges, don't destroy them. Build bridges, don't destroy them. Jump in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 27. The second occurrence of Barnabas in the passage shows up in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. And this is great because here we read, oh, I'll start back in verse 26. And when he had come, that is Paul, Saul there, but his name's going to be known as Paul, to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. Yes, because he'd been executing and supporting the execution of Christians. 
for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden, Paul's got a, Paul has a platform. Paul has a platform because Barnabas built the bridge from Paul to the Jewish believers in the church in Jerusalem. That's the only reason he's got a platform. Because Barnabas is a bridge builder. He's not a bridge destroyer. And, and this is so critical that, that you see that Barnabas, as a builder, is chosen now in Jerusalem to go up to Antioch. The Jerusalem church says, hey, listen, whatever's going up in Antioch, who can we send up there? There's Gentiles becoming Christians. Like, we've never heard of that before. Like, what's going on up there? That's probably, a, there's probably some radical heresy going on. I can, I can imagine this church meeting, okay? And someone says, hey, we don't know what's going on, but if you're going to send somebody, send Barnabas, right? Because he's not going to go up there with a hand grenade, okay? He's going to go up there with a bridge to build. And that's exactly what happens. Barnabas builds the bridge. But by the way, I'm going to jump way ahead. But you know the rest of this story. Barnabas and Paul take John Mark. This characterizes Barnabas. Paul says, listen, John Mark bailed on the first missionary journey. We don't have time for that. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I don't think he's character worthy to go. Barnabas says, I think he needs to go. See, Barnabas is still building the bridge to Paul. And all of a sudden, John said, they, they break up on it. Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes another way. Paul takes Silas, Barnabas takes, uh, uh, Barnabas takes Mar- John Mark, and they go different ways. But in the end of the story, in 2 Timothy, when Paul is about to die, he says, can you send me John Mark? This is beautiful. Barnabas builds bridges, and he doesn't stop building them just because it's hard. The Paul he's about to pick up here in this story Um, when he first met him back in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, between here and Acts chapter 11, there's about a 10-year pass, okay? 10 years. Barnabas has always remembered a decade ago he knew Paul, who's been serving back in Tarsus in his little hometown, and he all of a sudden says, I'm going to bring him to Antioch. He brings him because Barnabas is always about building the bridges. Barnabas, be a builder. Here's the third idea. Build with selflessness, not with self-centeredness. The text says that he was a good man. Luke uses that word elsewhere to speak of a good man. He says that Joseph of Arimathea, Luke 23, 50, was also a good man. Both Barnabas and Joseph of Arimathea have this in common. They were not self-centered. They were selfless. They served others. Joseph of Arimathea, you may remember, is the one who said, listen, I have a tomb. Nicodemus, can you help me take down the body of Jesus? Can we put the body of Jesus I know we're uh, Pharisees, and, and we're probably going to get in trouble for this, but, but he was always thinking selflessly, Luke 23, 50. Luke uses that same word here in Acts eleven twenty four 24 to describe Barnabas, who was selflessness, filled with selflessness, not with self-centeredness. A friend of mine who uh, teaches counseling down in Houston, Nicholas used to tell me that he, one of his first assignments in, in his counseling class was to send his students home with this simple assignment. You have to go 24 hours without talking about yourself. You can't use the word I, me, or my. You say, I could do that. 
Uh, I think it's a lot harder than you think it is. Okay? If every time you use the word I, bah, 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 something went off, you'd be surprised. Like everybody would be looking around like, where is that alarm coming from? Okay? Because we are prone to talk about ourselves. He said the only time you can talk about yourself is if somebody else asks you a question about you. Okay. Ready for this? Two things happen. The people come back and they always say, the students come back and they always say the same thing. That's a lot harder. And I realize nobody really asks me questions about me. Okay. Because by nature, we're not selfless. We're prone towards self-centeredness. Barnabas is a builder. He's gonna build bridges. He's gonna build with encouragement. And he's not gonna build with self-centeredness. One final one, here it is. Build a habit of spirit dependence not substance, and I put a slash there, people dependence. Build with a habit of spirit dependence, not substance, people dependence. Um, and, and, and that's because the text says he was full of the Holy Spirit. But when you go to Ephesians 5.18, you see a contrast. It says, do not be drunk with wine, that's a substance, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. Uh, heard this past week. Uh, one of our staff members said when we talk about that, it's like being filled with the spirits, little s, okay? You'll get that in a second, okay? Not filled with the spirit, capital S, right? The Holy Spirit is the one we're supposed to be filled with. And that filling is always an act of dependence. It's an act of saying, I am dependent on the Holy Spirit to make this move. We are so prone to substance and people dependence. You say, not me, Phil. I don't have any of those addictions. Ah, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Okay. Because whatever you turn to doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be an illegal drug. It doesn't have to be an over-the-counter drug. Whatever you turn to to find hope and dependence, that's your substance. Galatians 5 unpacks this beautifully right before the fruit of the Spirit. It gives you basically every single addictive desire and need that happens in what they call the deeds of the flesh. It's all there, right? You can go home and study it later. The point is this. We're all prone to lean into that, something that makes us feel happy, something we do when we're bored. How many of you know um, how many hours that you spent on your phone last week? Okay. How many of you are proud of that fact? Oops, all the hands went down, okay? The rest of you didn't know or have refused to accept the little warning from your iPhone or from whatever phone you're using that says, would you like to know how much screen time you spent last week? And that's because we all have these things we tend to go to when we don't know what to do, when, we want, when we're bored, when we want to move somewhere. And, and that's where we tend to relax back into. This is not Barnabas. He is filled with the Spirit, just like Ephesians 5, under the Spirit's influence and dependence, not upon his own. One final one, here it is, be a Barnabas builder. We notice as well that many opportunities necessitates, when you have a lot of opportunities, it necessitates the participation of others. Okay? It necessitates the participation of others. Over and over again in this text, we have seen words like, verse 21, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This is in Antioch. And a great many people were added to the Lord, verse 24. And when Paul and Barnabas begin to preach, they preach to a great many people. This is the picture. This is the image, okay? Paul and Barnabas, there's a lot of people in Antioch 
that have come to faith in Christ. Let me just stop for a second and, and share with you what just happened. Um, Rome, which kind of oversees this whole area, had massive populations in certain cities. Okay? You may not know this about Antioch. It was the third largest Roman city there in Syria. Rome was the first. I can't remember what the other one was, someplace else in Italy probably. And then there was Antioch. Okay? Antioch. 500,000 people live there. And many of those people are coming to faith in Christ. The opportunities there are enormous. They're enormous. And they're happening repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So Barnabas goes up. He's supposed to be a representative from the Jerusalem church to make sure everything in Antioch's okay. He sees everything's okay. He's overwhelmed. He goes out and says, I know who I got to go for. I'm going to go get Paul. It's been 10 years since I've seen him. I'm going to go get him. And that's what we read in the text, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And the idea they're looking means it took him a while to find him. Now just think about this for a second. There's a lot of people down there in in, um, in Antioch that need to be saved. Here, he's over in a small town of Tarsus trying to find Saul. Has anybody seen Saul? But it's been a decade. He, he probably doesn't even look like he used to look. He, he doesn't have GPS. He's got to find him, okay? Knocking on doors. Finally, he finds him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. I love this. All of a sudden, Paul is now a known entity, This man, who will become the apostle that will write half of your New Testament, is suddenly out of his little podunk town over there in Tarsus, and he's thrown into an environment. And alongside of Barnabas, they begin this incredible ministry. You ready for this? This church in Antioch, remember the map? Becomes the church that sends Paul. Now, for just a moment, picture what this would be like. You got two guys, Barnabas, who's this great source of encouragement. Every time he sees somebody in the lobby, he's saying, hey, hey, great, great, great to see you. Good to have you here. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? He's the son of encouragement. And then you have Paul, who is the apostle, right? You have these two guys who are preaching for an entire year. And at the end of that year, everybody says, there's a whole world that needs what Paul and Barnabas have. We're sending them. Can you imagine? The church became selfless. The church suddenly said, we got to share these guys with the world. And aren't you glad they did? Because things like Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, all of those writings come out of Paul developing, establishing churches in these areas because this church said, we're ascending church. That's what we want to be known as. I love this. Notice the end of that text. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It wasn't necessarily a positive term, by the way. It was the idea that you guys are little Christ. Like, you always talk about Jesus so much, we're just going to mock you. But here they are, Christians. And what marks a Christian in Acts chapter 11? Difficult situations, past prejudices that they're putting putting away, personal character issues they're developing, the fruit of the Spirit is growing in them, and that when they see many opportunities, they don't try to do it alone. They get others on board. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning. We're humbled again and uh, grateful that you give us your word, that you give us your spirit, that you sent Jesus so that we could have not only eternal life, but we could tell others about the great love with which he loved us. Help us share that with others. Help us love well to be like Jesus. Father, where we need to be better truth tellers, help us learn to do that. Help us not be bashful of the truth even if it has to be critical, but where we all so often need 
Help on the encouragement, grace side. Help us to do that well. Help us to use words to build up. Help us to be like Barnabas. Father, most importantly, this week, may you cause us to pray and think of others who are without the Lord and pray for providential opportunities that we might share in Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.